Welcome to the Treeleaf Zendo podcast. Treeleaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. I was wondering if we should recite that verse before reading the Hokyoki, which is what we're reading today, because it's usually what you recite before reading a formal sutra, a teaching of the Buddha. And what we're reading here was more like Dogen. Dogen was the fellow who brought Soto Zen to Japan. It was more like his diary when he was like you two guys, a student abroad in China. And uh, it's just his uh, memories of his experience and his time with his teacher. But it actually is a teaching. So we recite, because there's, you'll see there are many, many guides to the Buddhist teachings in here. And also very practical advice. I think the, it began... The first thing we learned was keep your belt tight during Zazen so that when you're sitting, your pants stay on. It was actually in here at the beginning. There's all kinds of things in here. It's a really mixed bag, and uh, so we'll just uh, drop in. Now, one of the things you'll see is this is Dogen recounting his memories of his teacher. Did Dogen always agree with his teacher? The answer is yes, absolutely, 100%, but 80%. The 100% part was beyond all opinions. You know, we've talked about this many times. Beyond me and you and right and wrong, they agreed completely. But would I say that Dogen was a complete copy of his teacher in China? No, he came back and he brought the teachings that he had learned in China he left some things in China, and he introduced some new things. Are you a copy of your teachers? Completely? Probably not. No. And this week I posted about my teacher, Gudo Wafu Nishijima, and I will say honestly that I'm 100% in agreement with Gudo Wafu Nishijima, the fellow here, and also 80%. He had a few opinions, sometimes... He had the idea that the lotus position is connected to the spine and it has a certain physiological effect to the nervous system. And I always, you know, used to say, well, it's not quite scientific, but he felt something that he tried to express. Otherwise, the beauty he knew in Zazen is the very same thing you experience when you, you're sitting. You feel the balance, you feel the harmony, you feel the peace. That's exactly what he was trying to express. So I often say I agree 100% and 80% with my teacher. Now, my students, I see a couple of them here. That's different. They agree 100% and 100%. Isn't that right? Good. Very good. You get, you, you get paid this week. Okay. 
So let us uh, read. Uh, we're on page 21 now. And it's always a surprise. I don't really prepare for this too much. Um, he said, I asked to my teacher, Ju Jing, you have not worn the ceremonial Dharma robe since you became abbot of this monastery. Why is this? Ru Jing, that's another way the name is sometimes pronounced, Ju Jing or Ru Jing. Ru Jing said, in fact, I have not worn such a robe as an abbot. I forbear this for the sake of humility. The Buddha and his disciples should wear robes made of discarded cloth and use bowls made of humble materials. I said, but elders in different monasteries often do wear ceremonial Dharma robes. This may show a lack of humility, and perhaps it is a sign of petty greed. But how do you feel about old Buddha Hongzhu? Hongzhu was our great ancestor in the Soto line. Uh, not quite a direct line, but about two generations back from Jujing in China. He was uh, considered the founder of Silent Illumination Zazen, Shikantaza, which we do here, is a child of this tradition. So what do you think of Hongzhi? He wore a ceremonial Dharma robe, but no one would deny that he was a very humble person. Rujing said, Dogen, you always ask me these questions and you're a real pain in the neck. But I'll do my... No, he didn't say that, but I, I bet you that's what he was thinking. Because as we see here, uh, Dogen's always asking him all these things. Yes, old Buddha Hongzhi wore a ceremonial Dharma robe, but in his case, it was out of respect, and it was an act of sincerity in the practice of the way. In your country, Japan, wearing a ceremonial Dharma robe is not a problem, but here in China, there's a tendency for elders to be greedy and ostentatious in the robes they wear. I do not wear a ceremonial Dharma robe here because I do not want to participate in this way of doing things. Now, let me be clear about this, too. In Japan, too, if you go to, there's actually a Buddhist priest's tailor shop that supplies Buddhist goods. Um, all our robes here are hand-sewn. This was uh, made by Taigu, and I'll tell you about another robe I have made by Taigu who hand-sews them. But you can go to a store... And some of the fancy robes, and I'm talking fancy, beautiful, will cost as much as a new car. I mean, they're very expensive and very beautiful. There are a couple of reasons to wear them. Sometimes people wear them just to celebrate and honor the experience. A lot of times people wear them because it's kind of a fashion show. This is true in Buddhism. You think Buddhism is beyond ego and dress and how you look. No, no, no. A priest, even in being a priest, sometimes must dress for success. If you look like a great priest and you wear a fancy robe, the emperor would give only certain colors to the highest priest. They would get to wear a red robe or a purple robe that was only for the highest rank. Sometimes there were people who were interested in that because you know something to be a priest in the old days, even today, is somebody's career, somebody's job. 
You want to be the vice president of the company? You want to be the president of the company? Well, someone wanted to be the assistant abbot or the abbot and hang out with the emperor and all the elite people. And you needed to dress like it. This is true in Buddhism or any religion just as much as in any modern fashion conscious society where people spend hundreds of dollars for their basketball shoes. So you have to be careful. Sometimes they'd wear these robes really just to show something beautiful to celebrate. And sometimes they wear it just to, it's their ego. And another reason is to impress your parishioners. I know many priests here who say, look, I don't want to wear the fancy clothes, but my, the people who come to my temple, they expect me to look this way. Uh, I know a priest here who does funeral services. That I don't want to say who this priest is, but people say he's a good priest. He plays golf, you know. He's a nice guy, not particularly a spiritual figure, but that voice when he chants and those robes, oh, and they feel when they go there for the funeral that they've, how to say, gotten their money's worth. So sometimes that's maybe necessary too. In the Catholic Church, in Buddhism, though, there were the priests who said, I don't care about gold, I don't care about fancy robes, I'm just going to wear something simple. Dogen, as far as we know, his whole life only wore an off-black robe. He didn't even wear these brown robes, as far as we know. This robe is simple cotton, was hand-sewn by Taigu. It's not supposed to be a fancy robe. The fancy, the beautiful, is every stitch of Taigu's mind that is here. If This is all done by another priest who was a teacher here at Tree Leaf. Look at those stitches. That is beyond money. And I have another robe you've sometimes seen that I wear, for example, for our Jukai ceremony. Looks very fancy, very beautiful, has many patterns. It's rags. He took old kimono, cut the pieces that were going to be thrown away, and he sewn them together. It looks magnificent. I look like... Uh, the emperor's uh, personal priest, but it's not. It's rags, you see. The real beauty is the stitching he put in. So that is Ru Jing's meaning here. Okay? Let's continue. Oh, when you wear your robes, by the way, and your raksu, have the same feeling. Don't be attached to it. Be humble. It's not about beauty. Okay. Ru Jing once said, the Zazen of Arhats um, and Prakteya Buddhas is free from attachment. The Arhats and the Prakteya Buddha, Buddhas, it was funny, the Mahayana Buddhists always kind of looked down on the Buddha's original students in India. It's a very strange story, I'll just mention it quickly. The Mahayana Buddhists felt that the Buddha's real message was to the Mahayana Buddhists of China and Japan and Korea. The Buddhists, original Buddhists in India, they called the Hinayana, the lesser vehicle. And they said that the Buddha had to give them a simple message because they could not understand the Mahayana.
let's just say there's a different message for all people. And I don't believe in this. But the point is that to the Mahayana Buddhists, the Arhats and the Prakteya Buddhists were not practicing the full Buddhism. Isn't every group, every religion just the same about these things? So the Zazen of the Arhats and the Prakteya Buddhists in India is free from attachment, but it lacks all embracing compassion like we Mahayana Buddhists. This is very different from the Zazen of Buddha ancestors where all embracing compassion and the vow to awaken all sentient beings is the highest priority. Now you can also take this a different way too and say it was not about just these folks in India. What it means is anyone who practices Buddhism selfishly just for their peace, their feeling good, are not practicing the real complete Buddhism. You have to practice for all sentient beings. You actually sit and practice for others. Okay? So let's take that meaning as a better meaning here. So he says, the real Zazen of the Buddha ancestors was all embracing compassion and the vow to awaken all sentient beings. That's the highest priority. People outside the way in India also practiced Zazen. For example, the Hindus and the Jains, other religions in India. But this Zazen still has the three problems of attachment, wrong views, and pride. And so it is permanently and utterly different from the Zazen of the Buddha ancestors. In other words, our way is the best. But when you sit Zazen, still... Don't be attached to your zazen. We have a funny thing. You ate your, your cake. Enjoy it. But don't be greedy and attached to it. You have friends and loved ones you're with. Honor them. Cherish them. But don't grab and hang on and be attached. Like for your selfish clinging, you understand. Same thing with your zazen. Hold it lightly. Shravakas, these are people who we would say uh, armchair Buddhists, people who only read books about Buddhism. Don't practice. But the Shravakas also practice Zazen, but their compassion is limited. They do not penetrate the reality of all things. Actually, I, I had that uh, wrong. Shravakas are people practicing for themselves as well with wisdom. Instead, they merely improve themselves and thus remove themselves from the creative seed of the Buddhas. So their Zazen too is permanently and utterly different from that of Buddha ancestors. The very essence of Buddha ancestor Zazen is the vow to accumulate all Buddha qualities from the moment of arousing the aspiration for enlightenment into the endless future. From the moment you begin to practice Zazen, from the moment you think, hmm, I'm interested in Buddhism, let me find out something. From the moment you came here from the first day, you're complete. But don't quit. Into the endless future. That's what it says. 
Buddha ancestors never forget or abandon sentient beings, but have compassion for all creatures, even insects. This is you, Sakushi. I've never met anyone who cares more about animals than Sekishi. And makes a constant effort to rescue them all. Sekishi, by the way, just one night, I think he went into the woods to, to free a deer. He saw that was in a trap. This is the, the guy who was chanting for us today. That's the kind of guy he is. I think he likes people too, but I know he likes animals. They turn over whatever merit is produced by all this to sentient beings. Because of this vow, Buddha ancestors always practice Sazen in the desire realm, in our everyday world of Jambu Vipa, which has great opportunities for influencing cause and effect. This is a fancy way to say they practice in this ordinary world. They don't go to some escape in some other mystical realm. They practice here, down here in the dirty world where we live, to help people. They don't abandon the people. If you imagine the Titanic, you know, the sinking ship, they're not the people who got in a boat and swam away. They stay to help. That's what he said. Buddha ancestors practice this way, life after life, world after world, and attain great flexibility of mind and heart. If you believe that you come back for future life, they would come back again and again with the vow that they will revow it. They will not stop until everybody is free. That's what we vow. So they come back again and again. They will not escape from this world. They will not go to some other realm until everybody is liberated. That was the vow. So Dogen said, I bowed and said, and how do we attain this flexibility of mind and heart? And Rujing said, to actualize Buddha ancestors dropping off body and mind is the essence of this flexibility. That is why dropping off body and mind is called the mind seal of Buddha ancestors. I bow. To drop off body and mind is as we sit zazen, all the thoughts all the feelings of the body do not trap us. That freedom, that liberation is where you work from. I can give you one example. I have a friend who works as a doctor in Africa. Very difficult circumstances. There's politics. He cannot help all the people he wants. He sees sad things every day. Very frustrating. Because of Zazen, he's kept going for a long, long time. He says as if it wasn't Zazen, he could not help the people. Because the dropping of the frustration, the dropping of the judgments, and the peace he finds in Zazen lets him get up and continue to work. Maybe that's what they're talking about here. Okay. Continuing. Rujing said, In the Dharma Hall, there are lion images placed to the east and west of the steps, that lead up to the Dharma seat. Both of them face the steps, but are slightly angled to face south toward the audience. These lions, from tail to mane, should be pure white. In recent times, workers have produced lions that are white, but with blue manes. 
This is a big problem. This lions with the blue manes thing. How, how can you have a zen? By the way, we don't have any lions. This variation isn't based on tradition, in fact. The lion should be all white. From mane to tail. You know, Dogen, can I be honest with Dogen? I said we agree 100%, 80%. He was a little tight. You know, he, was a little, he was a little tight. I told you that he said that he gave all these rules for going to the bathroom, you know. This is why. Okay, a little. Okay. Now, above the Dharma seat, there should be an eight-cornered lotus canopy. They sell that, by the way, in the Buddhist store. No kidding. It costs a U.S. about $20,000. If anyone would like to donate to us a genuine lotus canopy, we well, we actually don't have much room here. But Again, let's finish this. And there should be a mirror in each of its eight facets and a streamer with a bell affixed to it hanging down from each corner. You can actually see something like this if you go to many Japanese ten temples. They're beautiful. There should be five layers of lotus petals with a bell hung from each petal. The canopy should be exactly like the one about the Dharma seat of this monastery. This was a man who a minute ago said, don't be fancy. Now he's saying, but you, you know, you need the lions and the... Okay, now wait a second. I'm not going to criticize this. When I go to Europe and I walk in a church, even if I'm not Catholic, I walk into Notre Dame. <sighs> the windows. You walk into a Buddhist temple here. Yes, it costs a lot of money. Yes, maybe they should give the money to the poor. I know this. They're trying to honor something. The decoration, they're trying to say, this is what the Buddha's mind looks like. Look, even my little, that's plastic, but I mean, look at my little gold and silver there. It's gold. It's supposed to be beautiful, right? We have a little butsudan that has a little gold on it, but it's actually gold plastic. But it's supposed to be something. This is supposed to be like a palace, just to show this. It's a decoration. Now, if you, the monastery where this was written was a big monastery in China. If you can compare it to a university, this was like the Sorbonne or University of Tokyo, something like that, or Scuba University. Okay. So they were pretty fancy. Okay. Let's go on here. Uh, this is about Ru Jing's poem. I'm going to read the poem. It's in the footnote here. It's called The Wind Bell. The real body is a mouth hanging in emptiness. Whether the wind blows from east, west, south, or north, it joins the whole universe in chiming out prajna. Prajna is Buddhist wisdom, insight. Ting, 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 ting. So Dogen asked, I heard your voice on the wind, your verse on the wind bell. The first line says, the entire body is a mouth hanging in emptiness. And the third line says, joining the whole universe in chiming out prajna. What is this emptiness? Is it just 
the lack of form. You know, our bell has an empty space inside right there. And your materials expert, you will say that the bell is down to the atoms, almost completely empty space. Right? Is that what we mean by emptiness? And I always say, emptiness is the empty space and the matter and the whole thing. A better way to say emptiness is not nothing there. It means the whole flowing thing. Or, as I get to say again, the whole enchilada. The whole enchilada, yes. So what is this emptiness? Is it just the lack of form? People who doubt the way say this. And nowadays even some students of the way do not understand Buddha Dharma. They regard the spaciousness of the blue sky as emptiness. That is regrettable. As I told you, the blue sky also represents the open, clear mind. But you know even the clouds and the rain where you cannot see the sky is also the sky? When the sun is there, or the moon, we say the moon symbolizes enlightenment. You know when the moon is hidden, the moon is still there? You know when the clouds come and hide the moon, maybe you can see the light shining through the clouds, and then the clouds and the light are one. But you know that even when you cannot see the moon, it's there. Remember that. Some days we cannot know prajna, prajna this wisdom. Sometimes we're just back to being confused human beings, sad, angry, disturbed. It's still there. And when it's clear, it's still there. The space of the bell and the bell is all, the sound is all the emptiness. I'm getting too serious, so the oil heater is reminding me. Saying, don't be so serious. Rujing said, emptiness is no other than prajna, this wisdom. It's not the lack of form. It's not the lack of materials. Emptiness is neither having nor not having hindrances. You see? Empty and true emptiness is not having clarity and no problems or not having no problems. Your problems in life that you come here to escape from is prajna, is emptiness. You just can't see it at the time. It is the ringing of the bell. Therefore, it is not emptiness in the sense of simple lack. It is not one-sided real reality. Elders in different places have not yet clarified even form. How can they clarify this emptiness? I'm afraid that here in Great Sung, China, the decline of Buddha Dharma is beyond description. I said, your verse on the wind bell is supreme. Even if they had numberless eons, other elders would never be able to compose a verse like this. By the way, this is, Dogen also really likes to lay it on thick when he's talking about his teacher. And apparently right in front of his teacher, you'll see that he's, he's saying, my students, please feel free to learn from this when you, right, when I express an opinion, please. Okay. Brother monks should venerate it. Although I have come from a remote land and am not well versed in Dharma, I have read collections of other Zen masters' teachings like 
the transmission of the lamp, the wide lamp, the successive lamp, the universal lamp. These are all collections of famous koans and stories and teachings, as well as the recorded sayings of various masters. And I have not seen anything, <laughs> anything, anywhere like your windbell verse. It is my good fortune to have seen it. I wet my robe with tears of joy and bow day and night in appreciation of its straightforwardness and its beautiful rhythm. Ru Jing, who was about to ride off in a sedan chair, that was a get in a taxi, probably looked at his watch and said, yeah, Dogen, I, I gotta, I gotta go. Um, but thank you for the thought. He smiled and said, your words are deep and your spirit is outstanding. I composed this verse when I was at Qingliang Monastery. At the time, many people praised it, but none of them spoke of, as you have done. I acknowledge that you have a sharp Dharma eye. When you compose a verse, you should do it in the same manner. But really, it is quite a verse because the silence is in the sound of the bell. The emptiness is both in the space and the bell itself. And uh, material expert, the eye, what, is a, what is our bell made of? Iron, maybe copper, which came from the center of stars and somehow traveled all this way, right? So it was in the ground and someone dug it up so we can do this. Do you hear all your problems? Do you hear the rainy days and the sunny days? That's silence. Sounds like noise. And it, it fades, but where does it go? Where does it come from? Anyway, the real body is a mouth hanging in emptiness. Your mouth is the mouth of emptiness. And the rest of you, too. Okay. Let's uh, do uh, one more here. Rujing said to me at night, if sentient beings transmigrating through birth and death. Yes. This is the Elvis of emptiness. Can you hear the silence in the Elvis? Can you hear the Elvis in the silence? Do you know that song, Love Me Tender? Mm -hmm. If sentient beings transmigrating through birth and death arouse the aspiration for enlightenment and seek Buddhahood, they are immediately children of Buddha ancestors. It is also true that all other sentient beings are children of Buddha ancestors as well, but they don't know it. 
understand this family lineage, but don't speculate about its origins. Just like we don't speculate too much about where the universe came from, something must have not come from any place. Because of the old saying, if there was a beginning, what came before that? So the Buddha said, don't speculate about it too much. Would you like to hear where the universe came from? Would you like to hear where you came from? And they're going. See, they're transmigrating through birth and death. You might believe in other lives to come or just this life, that it looks like things are coming and going, coming and going, born and died. Is this coming or is this going? All beings are this. I was reading today about the traditional Buddhism. Many Buddhists believe that there was a path that you began as an ignorant human being. Maybe you go down, you're an animal, and finally you get to be a human being. From that human being, you may have to go through countless lives for millions of years in order to finally progress and cleanse yourself of all imperfections, all attachments, all negative thoughts. And at the end of millions of years, you would become Buddha. Many, many Buddhists, even Mahayana, Hinayana, this was their belief. It takes a long time. The first Buddhist stories, the first suttas you read, Buddha kind of said, oh, you got it, you got it, you got it, very easy, you got it. And then suddenly it started to take a longer and longer time after the Buddha's lifetime. Finally, it took many lives. The Zen people said, no, we want to go back to the original. Right here, you can realize this. You don't have to wait for millions of years. Would you like to be Buddha? Uh, I want to leave you with a koan. You know, a koan is a teaching problem. All white lions with white manes, white lions with blue manes, manes are the hair in the back of the lion, which is the true Buddhism? Depending on your answer, you can come back next week or not. Thank you for joining us for the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast Zazen, retreats, discussion, Jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.